stop listening to limiting beliefs. And I think that's my, my takeaway. If I listen to everyone along the way that said, you can't do that, you can't do that. You're not going to get financing on this. I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have 17 people paying me rent. I wouldn't have a resale business because there's a ton of naysayers out there. And I... Hi, welcome to today's episode of Invested Success. I am so excited to present one of the freshest, hottest new voices on the personal finance block, The Frugal Gay, also known as Tom Brickman. Just a couple of weeks ago, Tom was working at a movie theater. Today, he's a retired, self-made real estate mogul. How did he do it, you might ask? Well, today we answer that question and more. But to give you a sneak peek, the answer involves lipstick arbitrage, flipping bras, and getting bed bugs. <laughs> and something we talk about today called the Burr method, which means buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. I don't know if it's always in that order, but that doesn't matter because I'm not the expert. He is. We are going to discuss how Tom built his empire brick by brick, and he's here to tell us about his journey to buying multiple cash flowing properties to the point where he was able to quit his day job and retire into the sunset. While markets like Bitcoin and even index funds rise and fall, real estate can create a steady cash flow property and income for you for years and years to come. Whether you're renting, looking to buy a house for yourself, or invest in real estate, you're definitely going to want to watch what the frugal gay has to say today. We talk about what it's like to become a slumlord, what it's like to have to evict people, what it's like when your renters go MIA, and Tom even shares his very horrible but kind of hilarious story about getting bed bugs. Who would have thought that career hazard existed? He's here to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly of real estate investing at, at the very least, you'll be highly entertained. He's even going to share with you his secret onto your real estate investment or home to help it sell faster and become more appealing to the market. And it's quite a wild ride of real estate. I'll tell you what, this is a really, really fun episode. Uh, please help us help the show grow by smashing the subscribe button wherever you happen to listen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing so you never miss another episode. Let's get the show on the road. Please help me welcome Tom Brickman of The Frugal Gay. Welcome, Tom. I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm doing great, especially since you agreed to come on my show. I was really intrigued by your story to financial independence, and I really wanted to chat with you about it because it sounds like real estate has sort of been your way in, but I think what caught my attention the most as well is that you've worked for a movie theater for, I don't know, how long at this point? Uh, I just transitioned away last week. So this is actually my first podcast I'm doing where I actually do not have a nine-to-five job now. So I am uh... just doing... Um, real estate full-time, and uh, I have a resale business. So this is kind of exciting because everything else I've done before, I've always talked with my nine-to-five, and um, I, I just transitioned away last week. So it's on to I've – I've, I started to transition away in 2019, and I chickened out, and I finally pulled the, the trigger, and uh, last Friday was my last uh, day at my nine-to-five. Wow. Congratulations. It's hard to leave because it's, you know, paychecks are addicting and all. I've done the the test just living on rental income, just living on resale income. And uh, between my husband and I, we can do it. Um, I've just been very not frugal the past five years of us being together because we both had 
good income coming in. So it's going to be an adjustment. Uh, I Right before this show, I was listening to your um, episode with Jillian, and it was awesome to listen to because of you guys covered imposter syndrome and all the things that I'm feeling right now. Um, so it's it was the perfect episode to, to pick up and listen to. Oh, that makes me so happy. I felt the same way. That was more like a therapy session for me. It's really interesting that somebody speaks to like the roller coaster that is retirement, right? Like, because I really thought that would just be the minute where I had everything figured out. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's a whole other journey. And uh, yeah, I think I can stick with it this time. Because what really spoke to me about what she said was that feeling that you're not being productive when in fact you're just recovering and exhausted. And like, I'm feeling that creative energy come back to me now, which is so exciting. So in small pieces. Definitely. Um, I I've been not working for my nine to five for three days and I've already had two, two job offers. So you guys covered that in the episode and I laughed out loud because I'm like, that's happening to me already. So because people are like, do you want to come work for me? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And, and right now, um, we just bought a new uh, new primary residence, and we um, I have a rental under renovation, so I've got my hands full, and I've kind of but, uh, like uh, scheduled out the next four months. But I'm 39 years old. I'm from Dallas, Texas. I bought my first multifamily property when I was 21. Um, I bought it kind of by accident. My um, When I was 16, I wanted to look good, so I got a job at The Gap because in the late 90s, everybody wore The Gap. And um, my dad did my um, paperwork for me, and he signed me up for this Gap stock purchase plan. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just thought it was like a ton of tax. And um, I cashed that in when I was 21, and I bought my first multifamily property. Um, that was my down payment, that Gap stock. So it kind of indirectly set me up. I was well-dressed and I got a property out of it. So that was a a good experience with that employer. And that kind of just got the wheels rolling. Once I bought one, I bought another one the next year. And then I've kind of, since 2009, bought at least one property every year. Today I'm at 17 doors. I collect rent from 17 people and I collect one mortgage from um, a tenant. I turned one of my properties and I sold it to the tenant and they pay me now instead of a bank. Um, and uh, I've kind of set myself up to buy one or two more this year, uh, but I don't. I right now we're kind of focused in on buying my husband's um, doors as well because he's building his own wealth, and we're kind of, you know, I've I've hit where I always said I'd stop at ten doors, and I'm at seventeen doors and didn't stop. Um, but we are building his as well. Oh my gosh, congrats. That's a great story. And I'm so thrilled to have you because it sounds like you did the Burr method for real. So is that kind of is that the approach that you're doing? I didn't know what the Burr method was, but yes, I totally, um, when I heard it the first time, like 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, I've been doing that. I just didn't know what the name was. Um, but yeah, I bought a multifamily while I was in my senior year of college. Uh, I lived in the small upstairs unit um, and I rented out the downstairs unit and my house payment was $738 and the downstairs rented for 600 So where could you live for $138? Um and I kind of never stopped. Like I bought another one the the next year and I should have never bought that one. That was my disaster. That one um, was in 2005 and it's literally the definition of why there was a financial crisis. I had no business buying a, a second property, but I did because um, I didn't listen to others. And um, I lost money on it all 10 years that I owned it. I sold it off 10 years later and I sold it for $22,000 less than what I bought it for. So that was my my 
I've had a couple of bumps along the way, and that was one of my first big bumps. And whenever I talk to people, they're like, well, I would have gave up after that one. If you lost $22,000, why aren't you throwing in the towel now? Um, but then I was positioned in 2009. Um, I paid off all my consumer debt. I only had about 17000 I didn't have any student loans. I um, In 2009, I started aggressively buying um, real estate in Dallas, Texas. So much that I want to dig into. I first applaud and admire you because real estate is a lot of work. Like I started in index funds myself and then decided to get into real estate, but I grew up in my parents flipped houses, made every mistake that I grew up watching and then finally figured out this like, um, you know, be property re- easy, like real estate kind of income way. And they're doing that now. And they're like you, they're addicted. They just keep buying houses and they can't stop. Um, and I have just, I'm kind of envious and in awe at the same time, because I want to get addicted to buying houses. But so far, like our, just our single rental property with pretty chill renters has been a lot. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of those exciting stories. Like what have been the biggest disasters? How can someone interested in this avert and avoid those disasters? What, what, what is like the addiction there? What's the appeal that you love? Um, okay. So some of the biggest disasters I shared the, the 2005 purchase that I should have never bought. Um, another disaster I was, um, right after I met my husband, this is 2016, 2017. Um, I bought this property on eBay while I was sitting at my nine to five, I was bored and I started bidding and bidding and bidding. I knew the zip code, but I didn't know the address. And when I, when I sent my husband up to it, this is in another state, we invest in Ohio and we invest in Texas. There were fresh bullet holes in the windows. Um, it was, I mean, for lack of a better word, it was a crack house. It was not the purchase that I thought it was. Um, and though, and, and, and my dad went out and met my husband and my dad's like, you know what, just walk away from this one. Just cut the loss. I ignored him and I made it nice and I spent everything that I had to fix it. And that's the one that I actually turned the tenant into the owner. So they bought it in this past July and um, it turned out to be a victory. I ended up making $12,000 on it over a couple of years, but it was one of those that I should have never purchased. I just didn't do, do my homework. And I see so many people DM me and put messages. I want to be a real estate investor. I want to be a real estate investor. So that's part of why I always share my failures. So you guys go in with realistic expectations. Cause if you just sit and watch HGTV, they make it so pretty and so fun and done in 30 minutes that you don't, you know, understand that you're, t- you know, yesterday I had a tenant contact me cause they had frozen pipes. That's part of it. And, and that's part of, so I kind of love that you started with index funds and that's why I follow all the other money Twitter nerds um, because those index funds, those dividends that come in are not going to tell you that they have frozen pipes. And that's why I invest in stocks and bonds and all that too. So those were two big fails um, along the way that I probably should have never bought, but I did. Um, But I've had some huge successes along the way as well. So some of my biggest successes that I've bought over the past... um, 13 or so years, I started buying condos because everyone in Dallas was ignoring them and they were cheap and I don't like to borrow a lot of money. I'm in the mentality that I want to buy it and I want to buy it in cash. Um, So I started buying condos and I was picking up condos for uh, $9,500, $12,500. I I have a couple of $20 and $30,000 condos mixed in there. 
And those were the, those are huge. And those are what I've kind of, you know, uh, this past year in 2021, I took one of those condos and I, I exchanged in it into another property, a, a multifamily property and sold it for $100,000. So I've had huge success buying what everyone else is ignoring and buying the ugly stuff and putting the gay glitter in and making it pretty and kind of bringing that, you know, little bit of nicer in the complex charm to it that that gets tenants excited to pay rent and gets people excited to buy it when I do sell those. And um, I've kept the good ones along the way. And there have been some duds that I've bought and I just couldn't take the complex or the poor HOA or the, I couldn't get a good tenant and I've, I've sold those off. Um, in 2020, uh, we, we purchased a hoarder house. Um, it's a great A-class neighborhood, gigantic house um, that was hoarded to the ceiling. It took us 11 dumpsters to empty, and it was uh, horrifying um, trying to empty it. And there were lots of creepy critters crawling through that house. It had not been touched in, in five-plus years. So um, that one is actually one of my, my best properties. Um, it just appraised for over 400,000. Uh, and it was the perfect, you know, how we were in lockdown for 2020. So it was the perfect isolation project because it was my husband and I um, just digging ourselves out. We were literally using snow shovels to try and empty it. Um, and that was a, a home run. And I've used that one to buy other properties. I, I still own it, but I, I borrowed some money on it now um, and, and picked up other properties. So I kind of, um, before transitioning away from my nine to five, I've set myself up so I can buy two or three more this year. And, um, I've been really successful picking up real estate and building wealth that way. And that's kind of been my, you know, from a very young age, um, my father was a police officer. My mom stayed at home with, uh, the, the four of us, the four kids. And, um, it was the mentality that if you want it, you're going to have to work for it. So I found ways to, to side hustle to, to, you know, um, I was listening to an episode, uh, that you did with Jesse Kramer, um, of best interest. And he was talking about how he went and he sold, um, at his brother's baseball games. I was doing the same thing just in a different way. I was the oldest. Um, but I would go and, you know, I would, I would do garage sales for family members. I would, you know, I was always, how can I turn this into some sort of income? And that's part of um, how I went to, so college, I went debt-free. Um, Gap did tuition reimbursement. So that's why I stayed employed with Gap for uh, my whole college career. So high school and college, I, I stuck it out with them. And then whatever wasn't covered, I did, I, I worked, so I had some income, but I also um, did side hustles, but I didn't even know it was called side hustle at the time, but I've always flipped merchandise. And that's another unique thing that I've done is um, there was a condo that I wanted and I didn't have money and I, I ended up buying almost a truckload of bras. And um, my husband and my brother, we had to peel all the clearance stickers off these bras, but it took us about a month, but I flipped all these bras and I bought that condo in cash. So that was another um, kind of uh, unique thing that we've tried along the way. I've, I've just always been, how can I make it work? As opposed to, 
I'm going to wait for someone else to figure this out for me. Um, even, even when I bought the crack house, obviously I did not know it was a crack house when I bought it. And the first thing, uh, after we fixed the bullet holes was the, the roof was leaking really bad. And I'm like, I don't have enough money for this to fix it up. Right. But I have, um, you know, I have $4,000. So can I fix the worst parts? And I did. I, I replaced half the roof and it didn't look great at first. I ended up doing the whole thing, but I'm going to find a solution before I just walk away from anything. And that's part of my other thing too, is I like to keep going and going and going until I get it. So much I want to dig into. Okay. So I want to talk about this like gay glitter that you add to make your uh, properties more exciting. And I'm one of those that like reads too much. So to give you some background, like two things I've heard is like maybe avoid condos, maybe don't fix it up and keep it super basic because it's just for renters and don't get too tied up. And I love that you're doing something a little bit different than like the common sense advice that I've heard. So I'd love to hear more about that. And then, I mean, I have so many questions about the bras. So uh, sure. but let's start there. Okay. Uh, so the gay glitter, um, when I was buying these condos for 9,500 or 12,500, um, I focused in, I, I had a friend that did tile and he was really good at it. So I would go to town with the backsplashes. I would go to town with a decorative tile in the bathrooms. And then I had a, a friend that also did resurfacing. He did resurfacing for apartment complexes and he could go in and make those bathtubs look brand new. He could go in and make the countertops look brand new. Um, and then I had a friend that I met through work that, that was, a, a he's, a HVAC and an electrician. So I kind of had, I, once I built the team, it was real easy and I'd go in to, you know, a $9,500, um, condo and I would spend all my bonus money or whatever money I had, which at the time was, you know, four or $5,000 and I make it stand out. So it's going to be the nicest one in the complex. And I would do those things. I would put in a ton of tile. I would, um, one of my favorite things to do was always to put in a can light and put a speaker, um, a Bluetooth speaker bulb up in the the ceiling. Cause that was always a, I mean, those Bluetooth speaker bulbs are only like, um, like 20 bucks. And, but the tenants would walk in and they'd be excited. They're like, I want to hook up my Bluetooth to that. Cause it was new at the time. And it was always one of those ways to, to stand out without spending a ton of money. Um, always went with the nicer faucets just to kind of give it a little bit of flair. Um, always went to the scratch and dent section of Ikea and went to town um, just with whatever I could find with whatever flooring was there, whatever. I, I mean, I did bamboo floors in one once I did all kinds of crazy floors and then did did uh, fun colors. I, I switch up my colors every year. We were just uh, we're doing some um, pink here in the new house that we just purchased, and that's a color that we haven't used a ton of. But a lot of times, what makes it stand out is you know a, a simple color or a simple you know we'll wallpaper one wall. Um, I had a really tiny condo in a really good neighborhood, and just by throwing up some decorative wallpaper that cost me you know 150 bucks people were like fighting over and trying to pay me more in rent just because it has a little bit of personality to it. So that's kind of my, my methodology. And yes, I, I, I know that's why people ignored condos and that's why I took advantage of the condos and I've traded away most of them at this point. 
I still hold a few um, here in Dallas. First of all, I love that. So brilliant. Like I love that everyone's zigging and so you zagged and has it's made you all the more successful. So very clever because sometimes like common sense advice gets thrown around and we all just start believing it. And that's why going against the grain is so uh, valuable sometimes. But okay, so I don't even know where I heard that condos aren't a good idea to invest. Do you know why that is common sense advice? There's a ton of HOA restrictions. Um, and- and if the HOA doesn't take care of the outside, you're stuck with it. And um, at the first complex, I actually moved into it for a while. I got myself onto the condo board. So I was very active with, we need to improve this. We need to do landscaping. We need, you know, we need to fix the gate. What, you know, what can we do to make it look better? What can we make this a more rentable complex? There's also a ton of restrictions with, you can rent this, you can't do short-term rental, you can do short-term rental. So you're you're restricted right off the bat. And then you're restricted with any kind of modifications you do inside the house if you're wanting to remove walls or inside the condo rather, if you want to remove walls. And there, there's a ton of limitations. And um, I understand why everyone would not want to do that. Um, however, if I could go back in time, I'd go back to 2009 and buy a ton more um, just because it's, it's what's built up my wealth now. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's given me the leverage that I need to go to the next level. Maybe, you know, uh, in 2019, we bought a, um, a mixed use building and it's got one commercial space and three residential units. And if I wouldn't have bought those condos at that time, I would never have been able to buy this, this building with, with the, um, commercial space. So it's set me up but I could understand why people would not want to do it unless, you know, people are always like, well, I want to start. I want to start. Well, if I were starting over again, and this was a question that was just asked of me, I would start the same way. I'd buy a two bedroom condo. I'd rent out one of them. I'd live in the other room and, and start building wealth that way. And that's kind of, you know, as I moved on and I moved out of that condo, I moved into a townhouse and I had three bedrooms, three baths. It was perfect for two roommates. And those two roommates covered all of my house payment all of my HOA dues, it was, it was, I mean, where can you, and I've been doing that since I've been 21 and I'm 39 now. So it's, it's a way to build wealth and people discard it. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable having to live with someone, but, um, and I heard Jillian talk about this on your episode. It, it set her up and and that's really what I've done because I invested that money then into a different house or a different condo or, or into stocks or into, you know, I've just, the money that I wasn't spending on a house payment got reinvested. So wise. I love that. And where are you based, if I might ask? I, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and yes. um, I have houses in uh, Toledo, Ohio is the other market that I invest in. Ooh, genius. I want to get into Ohio myself. I love that. Also speak highly of New Mexico for, for a market as, as well. Um, very cool. So long distance real estate investing. I would love to pick your brain. I have a lot of friends that do short distance um, and feel really intimidated about managing something from afar. So do you have any like tips on how to do that and, and like what that experience is like? I started buying in Toledo, Ohio while I was in college. So that's how that happened. Um, I got a job in Texas. That's how that move happened. Um, I'm equally split between the two. I self-manage in Texas and I have a management company that I pay in Ohio to take the calls and, and, um, take care of maintenance. Um, it is intimidating. Um, you can buy a whole lot of house in Toledo, Ohio compared to Dallas, Texas now. Um, 
but it's also a great solid rentable market. There's a college there. There's a lot of um, opportunities in Ohio that just aren't available in Texas just because it's built up so much. And that's why I say if I could go back to 2009, I would buy more here in Texas. Um, but um, it's hard with the management company. So if you're thinking about going into long distance, make sure that you have a reputable management company. I, I tried out one. It ended disastrously. I lost thousands of dollars that year. Um, so really word of mouth, because um, I was reading a, a message board and someone recommended this person and I emailed them and I'm like, I want to hire you. And I hired them and it was a learning experience. It ended up being disastrous by the end, but um, I'm glad I did it. So I know what to look for in management companies, what questions to ask, because some of the things I did it because I had a problematic tenant and I didn't want to deal with the tenant anymore. Um, and it probably would have been cheaper and easier to break the lease with the tenant and just self manage it. But you live and you learn and that's kind of, you pivot and you move forward. Can you elaborate a little bit more on kind of like the disaster story, if it's a good one? For sure. Uh, the tenant was very problematic from like the second month on. And that's something that you can't screen, you can't tell. And um, just kind of outlandish, ridiculous requests. Like there was one night that they're like, you need to come over and clean my windows. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Um, and it was just something little all the time. It was very little things that never would have, you know, I'll, I'll fix a leak, obviously, but it was, you know, cleaning windows. I remember that they broke um, the, the sliding door blinds and they wanted me to replace them right away. And um, how it turned disastrous was that management company was responding to all those different requests because they continued once they took over and I was getting charged for every trip charge. I was, you know, it was hundreds, I was losing hundreds of dollars every month because they were going for these trip charges. And it, it was, it was a bad situation. And it was something that, again, I'm glad that I went through, but I probably should have went at it a different way. And I would go, if, if I knew what I knew now, I would go at it a, a different way now. So what is the different way that you've gone about it since? Um, and like, because it sounds like things are, are working really well now. So what did you do like the next time to get set up properly uh, in a better situation? So I sold that condo that that tenant lived in um, because it kind of stuck with the condo, um, with the complex. Um, but other ways that I've pivoted since then to move forward is um, like right now I've got a trip planned for Ohio and I'm going to hire a part-time property manager that's that's going to live in one of the units up there to help manage. Um, I, I need someone who can respond to some of like the frozen pipes. I'm in Texas. There's nothing I can do for frozen pipes right now besides call people. And that's what I did yesterday. I have a, a good team that I work with with and I just started texting everyone that I work with up there and the guy who does my tile in Ohio responded and he's like I'm around the corner I can be there in 30 minutes and he was able to muddle through and, and fix it so I would say um, I've pivoted how I approach tenants um, we had a, a real rough eviction this past summer and um, while I was working with the lawyer I just you know in order to make it easier on the tenant um, even though it wasn't required, I refunded security deposit, helped them you know, with moving. So I've just kind of tried to play both sides and put myself in their shoes. And I've, I've had, you know, um, 
bad contractors over the years who've taken money and not finished projects. And instead of battling with them to try and get them to come back and fix things, I have not used them again. And then I have used a, a different contractor on future projects. So I've just, uh, my approach is a little bit different. I was so gruff when I was 21. I remember going down to the tenant and I'm like, you can't smoke weed. All my clothes smell like weed. Um, and if I were a 39 year old at this point, I mean, I would not be yelling at my tenant who's smoking weed in her unit. Um, so I just would approach it a little bit differently. I totally hear you. I mean, I was that way when I'm, when I was young as well, but, um, real estate is a journey. I think we've had our first hiccup, which is, our renters just stopped paying lately. Um, but luckily we were on a month to month. So we just kind of ended the lease, but it's been really kind of tough on landlords in 2020 because, uh, you know, I don't think you can really evict people. Right. So have you had any stuff in the last year as a result of all of that, that's been troublesome or difficult to get through? Both states I'm in, we had very limited, um, being in Texas and being in Ohio, it was very limited. I did evictions both years in 2020 and 2021, but they were tenants that just stopped responding to me. They stopped paying, but then they just wouldn't respond, wouldn't communicate. And that's always one thing that frustrates me with the tenants is when they just ghost you. Um, and they're living in your house and not responding to texts, not responding to three day notices. So, um, I have, I, I did go through evictions both years. I did not have it. I was terrified at the beginning of COVID because I'm like, okay, if all, and at that time, I think it was 13 or 14 people were paying me rent. I'm like, if everyone doesn't pay me rent, I'm still good. I can make it. And my resale business went crazy because people couldn't leave the house. So they were ordering tons of stuff. Um, so I'm like, I can make this work. And that's why I've always been one of those that I do have some real estate debt, but, but um, and I host a, a Wednesday night Twitter spaces chat with um, three other entrepreneurs that are all in real estate. And I carry the least amount of debt, but I hold the second most amount of real estate um, percent wise. I just, I'm at my comfort level with a certain amount of debt where if everyone's not paying me, I'm still going to be able to pay my bills. Um, and they are much more comfortable leveraging 75% and going crazy, but it's just part of how I've built my wealth. I've been a little bit conservative. I've done some, um, like the gay glitter, like I was talking about to make it stand out, but I didn't put myself into a crazy mountain of debt to do the gay glitter. I spent the $5,000 bonus that I got from work, or I spent the money I got from selling bras and I made that into what my real estate is. It's really impressive. I've, I've got to check out that Twitter spaces. I'm going to put that on my, my list of things to do on Wednesday, but okay. So I love this hustle that you've got going on, like the bras. Can you just break that down a little bit for me? It happened so fast. It was so exciting. I saw it on social media and I had to ask you, so wait, where did you find these bras and where did you sell the bras? So I found the bras in Ohio. I truck them down to Texas. Um, and I went to, I had my grandma peeling stickers, my dad peeling stickers. We went to all the stores in Ohio. We bought them all and, um, we paid around $2 a bra and we sold them for $8 a bra, which doesn't sound like a lot when you think about it, but when you put in a truckload of bras, that's a huge markup. 
Um, but then the person who bought them from me sold them for almost full price. So it was a, a win, win, win. I probably could have went to $10 a bra and I, that's the only thing that I regret is that I didn't go a little bit higher with them. But, um, it's, that's just, part, and when I was in college, I sold, um, diesel purses to pay for books. So it's just been one of those things where, uh, this weekend I went sourcing for merchandise and I think I'm going through, um, what you and. Um, Jillian were discussing with a little bit of anxiety, the imposter syndrome, I'm nervous, so I'm buying extra resale merchandise. But the bras were just one of those that we were in the right spot at the right time. The purses and the the cart was sitting right next to the register with the purses. And I'm like, are these really $1.50? And they're like, yeah. And I just kind of pushed that whole cart up to the checkout register and bought it all and sold them two at a time um, on eBay. And that paid for books for school. Okay, this is genius. So basically, like at retail stores, when you catch like a clearance deal, you'll just scoop everything up. And do you always resell online? Or it sounds like you resold to somebody who then resold it. How did you find that person who bought it? Yeah, I I sell um, our makeup and that kind of stuff we sell online. Um, I've stuck with smaller, easy, shippable products. I'm not buying couches. I see a lot of flippers that are doing the couches and I see a lot of flippers that are doing shoes and all that. I've stuck with a little easy to ship and easy to eat the loss if it gets lost in the mail items like bras, like makeup. Um, you know, we do a lot of clothing. Um, we do online, uh, through eBay and Amazon. And then we do, um, like local pickup apps, five mile, uh, offer up those type of apps for, for certain items. And that was, um, where I found the, the, the person that bought the bras, uh, they found me through there and we were doing them for $10 and, they just said, how many do you have? If you have this many, I'll take them all. Uh, will you take this price? And we settled on um, $8. But I found a ton of resellers that way. And then I've also found, you know, people now get very concerned with um, where are you getting your merchandise? Because I'm sure you've heard about the smash and grabs at these stores. So when I source, it's super important that I'm buying from these certain like I don't like to barter with with the people. They're like, "Hey, I'll trade you this if you give me this." If I can't source where it came from, I get really uncomfortable with it. Just like those diesel purses. If I didn't know that those were real diesel purses, I would never have touched them. I don't like selling fakes. I don't like selling any of that. It gets you into like a, a messy area that I don't want anything to do with. So if I don't know where it's sourced from or which wholesaler it's coming from or trace it back to its origin. I don't want to buy it. That is very smart. I, I didn't even think of that. That's a really good thing to think about. So I have to ask a couple of things as somebody that's done a little bit of this myself and we can trade, you know, stories. I'm always doing like bespoke crafts on Etsy, which is something you don't even want to get into. Um, do you ever wind up with a bunch of inventory? You can't move in your garage. Uh, and do you have to list them each individually online? Cause that's what always scared me about getting into this is like either getting stuck with a bunch of inventory or having to list each individual one and take pictures and it takes hours. So how do you bypass both of those things? So yes, I've gotten stuck. I've made some bad purchases. I've made some toy purchases that just cause I think it's a cool toy from, and it's, you know, from the eighties, it doesn't sell anymore. Um, and I don't have a garage, but I have a guest house. It's a 400 square foot guest house and it's um, full right now. And that's kind of our house rule. If it doesn't fit in there, we can't buy it. Um, so that's kind of what we stick with. We, we're pretty good about um, once a month just dumping merchandise that we can't sell. It doesn't happen often. Um, it really didn't happen like uh, during COVID because I wasn't sourcing. We flew through what we had. 
which was nice. Um, online, yes, you do have to do the different pictures, but a lot of them, like the makeup, for instance, we have like 800 pieces of this one color. So we'll take one picture in our, in our eBay shadow box and list that. And then it's up, you know, for 300 sales or however many pieces we have of it. Uh, for the bras, we did them by size. You know, we sorted all of them. We peeled clearance stickers, sorted them all by size and um, listed, you know, 10 in a, 10 in a lot and just said they're $10 each. So it's uh, it can get, very tedious. Like last night I was listing DVDs that we picked up this weekend and you think nobody buys DVDs anymore, but this place that we source at has all these obscure, no name movie DVDs. And those are what sell because they're hard to find. And I, I picked up one, we paid um, $4 for it on Sunday and then it already sold today. And it was like $53 for, for something that I just paid $4 for on Sunday. That's amazing. Yeah, that's the other thing. So do you individually ship all of them as well? Oh, wow. We do. Yeah, it, it, it can be um, like we we average 100 to 120 items a month. Um, we have days that we won't do any eBay shipping, like we don't do anything on the weekends. But Sunday nights, we'll, we'll start packing them all up for Monday mornings. Um, and when you're averaging 100 items a month, it's it's not as bad as you think it is. You know, it's three or four items every day. That's amazing. I am so impressed. Like, okay, so where have you found the time to not only manage a real estate empire, a a reselling business? And then I think until recently you were working, what were you doing? What was your full-time job? Um, I worked at a movie theater for the past 15 years, um, full-time and, um, it was overwhelming. I had, if I didn't have my husband, uh, to help me, it would be completely unmanageable. I, I did that. I did real estate. Real estate, um, can be very passive as I'm sure you know, unless they stop paying. Um, and that's another part of the gate glitter that I forgot to touch on is if you fix it right at the beginning, they're not going to be calling you with this problem and that problem. And that's one thing. Uh, my father would cheap out on certain things. Um, and I just, I don't, if it's leaking, then let's get a new faucet. If it's, you know, if it's not working right, I don't want someone there 10 times to try and fix it. I'd rather just replace it and get it done with. So that saves time. Um, just by, you know, I proactively replaced a hot water heater in November, not because it went out or wasn't working, but I knew it was close and I already had one issue with it and got it up and working. I'm like, I don't want to wait till next year for it to go out. I'm just going to replace it now. I already have a, a plumber here. Let's just do this and get it done. So it's it's tough. And then when you throw in um, the frugal gay, which I started in March, it just, it became overwhelming. So I have actively worked towards letting go of that nine to five so I could work on the frugal gay, so I could work on the resale business properly. Because uh, there are times where our inventory system is weak, <laughs> And there are times where you're just trying to find that item so you can ship it. And we keep everything in certain boxes in certain rooms. But, it, uh, you know, we, we sold this really expensive cologne and I was excited because it had been listed for almost a year. And then, of course, when I went to go ship it, I'm like, I can't find this thing anywhere. My husband dug through boxes. And then so I canceled the order, refund the, the person the money. And then, of course, like 10 minutes later, we find the item. So it's one of those that... um I can't keep doing that to myself. I can't do that to my husband where we're both stressed out. We're pulling each other's hair out because we can't find items to ship. So I need to 
with the frugal gay, with real estate, and with the resale business, I need to dedicate time to it. And and that's part of the transition away from the nine to five. So smart. I mean, I must ask of all of these endeavors, what is the most profitable and lucrative? And I'd love to know kind of like what your investment breakdown is in terms of um, like real estate versus index funds versus like investing in your businesses. Um, so I am 75% in real estate, which is great. I was talking about this last night. It's crazy how much I have invested into real estate. Um, and then I'm I'm 25% with my um, 401k, my Roth IRA, um, my traditional IRA, and um, my brokerage. I have two brokerage accounts. So I I have a mix, but it's not very balanced. And that was kind of what I was touching on last night. I'm like, they were just talking about index funds. And I, I started speaking up and I'm like, the index funds are not going to text you and tell you that they have a broken pipe. And this is why I'm on here right now, because that's so much more attractive to collect that dividend. Um, A few weeks ago on Spaces, we had um, a gentleman from Orlando who has rental properties, but is super invested into 97 different companies. And he's just living off a dividend income right now. And that is attractive and something that I want to work toward. So, so my goal this year, I want to get it to, um, $300 $300 a month in, in, in dividend income. I mean, you see some of those people on there, you know, they're $3,000 a month, $4,000 a month, just in, in dividends. And I want to get it there. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm working towards. So I think this year I'm going to finish up my rentals. We're going to finish up our new primary house. Um, but my extra income and the most profitable, um, I want to go towards those, those dividend stocks and um, really build that up. Because I see the power that you can get. And I do have a portfolio, but I don't have that portfolio that's, you know, providing me with $50,000 a year in passive income. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much I'd love to add on to that. And like for the listeners at home who maybe think we're talking in word soup, which we probably are, um, the Burr method to start, which I always forget all of these, it's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So I love the Burr method for somebody who is starting from scratch to build wealth like you did. Um, because I noticed that index funds is really easy for people that maybe studied computer programming and got a really high salary and they can just kind of, you know, maybe they got stock with their startup or whatever, um, which is, you know, great, but not all of us, like I didn't study computer science, sadly. So um, I love the idea that someone can kind of start from ground zero and start buying real estate and flipping it um, to to reach uh, the level of success that you have. But yes, about a year ago, I decided obsessively that I was like, I need to get into real estate. All my friends invested in 09. They've got all of these cool properties. Um, But then after a year, when your tenants stop paying rent, you're like, oh, okay, I see why index funds are appealing now. Um, And I will say to anyone who's renting as like a landlord, communication is so key. Um, We would have cut our renters all kinds of breaks. It's just like when you don't know what's happening with them, that it can get so frustrating and confusing and like anxiety inducing. So I completely hear you on that one. I had one, I had a tenant that just moved out in the middle of the night. They got bed bugs. And they decided, um, instead of telling me, this is probably like four or five months into their lease, uh, they just moved out. And um, I was at that point where I'm like, okay, it's an empty unit. They stopped responding to me. I started doing an eviction. 
I, I sent them a thing, right, a text the day before the eviction was to go to court. And I'm like, are you guys going to court tomorrow? What's going on? And then he finally responded. He's like, we moved out a month ago. So I go over there. It's pretty clean. There's a couple pieces of furniture. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to move in this one for a little bit. I'm going to, um, so I cleaned it up. Um, and it was super inexpensive. It's a small condo. And um, it was like the second day I was in there. I'm like, something's going on. And um, I have, that's the only time I've ever had bed bugs in my life. But um, apparently I found out from the neighbor the next day and after it ended up being over $2,000 in treatments that they moved out because of the bed bugs um, and the neighbor had bed bugs and it was, it was a condo. So it kind of traveled through and that was my problem. That's why it costs so much because every treatment they would get rid of them. They'd go to another unit and then they'd come back. Um, so finally we did heat treatments. We did spray treatments. Um, the heat treatments seemed to be the most effective. I didn't have an issue the rest of the time I lived there, but it's one of those that they could have told me they had bed bugs and avoided moving out. They could have, you know, talk to me, communicate with me, respond to me, text. You don't have to call me. We don't have to be best friends, but when you just stop responding, I don't know how else to respond. Absolutely. 100%. Like I would probably let someone like go six months without paying rent. So long as they told me what was going on. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but so long as they told me, I'm so sorry you had to deal with that though, but it's an excellent story. Um, and a good, like word to the wise warning, I guess. So yes, I love it. So what has been the biggest, uh, you know, like success story, like, oh my gosh, all this money landed in my bank account. And then what has been the like, ah, shoot, that was like the worst mistake. And I learned this from it and you lost like the most, um, cause I know that in real estate, that's really easy to do on both sides. I bought a townhouse that everyone ignored in, uh, like around 2011. Um, and I had sold my condo. I, they were everyone who looked at it, loved the gay glitter. Um, I got top dollar for it. And I'm like, I need a place and this townhouse makes sense. So I bought this three bedroom, three bath townhouse in Dallas. It's in a good neighborhood. And I moved into it and um, I didn't have a ton of money to fix it, but I used what I had and made it look awesome. I lived in it for three years and I moved into the, um, the bed bug condo after I moved out, after I sold that place. Um, but uh, that was my, probably one of my biggest successes because um when I sold that one, since I had lived in it for three years, uh, there was almost $150,000 in profit. Um, and that landed in my account. And I just remember the day that it hit the account. I'm like, I've never had that much money all at once in this account. This makes me so happy. So that was a, a big victory. And that's really kind of what got me rolling when I had that money, because then I could go for this house. And I went for the, and I bought quite a few beat down houses and really turned them. The, the one that I bought with that money uh, was in a real up and coming neighborhood that they're doing tons of construction in right now. And I, I chose to not, um, I didn't tear down the house, but I took it all the way to the stud, put everything new in it and ended up living in that one for a couple of years. But, um, and then my failures, um, beyond the, the crack house that I bought beyond the, um, house that I bought in 2005 that I had no business in buying, um, there, there's been a couple just with, with contractors that that's why it's so important when you have someone that's reliable, like I, I did yesterday. And I just started texting all my contractors up in Ohio and I'm like, who can respond to this frozen pipe? And 
you know, when you treat your people right, they, um, they show up for you. If you make sure to pay, you know, with a lot of them, I'm making sure that they're taking Venmo, they're taking uh, cash app or Zelle or however I can get them money the quickest. Um, I, I was just, uh, sharing with a friend, uh, I, when I do the cash back on discover, I always make sure to get the gift cards and I mail out those gift cards to tenants, to contractors, to all of them. So I make sure. So I think my biggest failure, um, probably was that, um, $22,000 loss of a house that I bought in 2005. I just bought a house cause I wanted to be close to family. I had no business. I had no emergency fund and, um, I held on to it and held on to it and held on to it and kept making it better and trying to get tenants. And I had to do eviction after eviction on this house. So it was, I didn't have a team. I didn't have good tenants. I just had a money pit and I just kept thinking, okay, I'm going to throw more money at it. I'm going to throw more money at it. I'm going to fix the the kitchen this time. I'm going to fix the bathroom. I'm going to do this. It never made it any better. I, I should have probably, sold it at the bottom of the market in 2009 instead of just losing, you know, I was losing five, $6,000 a year. So I didn't just lose 22,000. I lost money every year that I owned it. And um, if I could go back in time, I probably would have never bought it, but that was a, a, a lesson. And it's funny because when I tweet it or I show it on um, Instagram, it's always one of the ones that gets the most likes or the most retweets because people are like, they like when you're honest with them. And when you tell them, hey, I lost $22,000, real estate isn't for everyone, you shouldn't jump into this without an emergency fund, they like that raw, real, because it's not HGTV, it's not, I'm going to move it in here in 30 minutes, it's not going to be perfect, you're going to have leaky roofs, you're going to have, I had, I've had a lot of failures along the way, but I didn't give up, and that's part, you know, and that's what everyone says after that one, that was your second property, why didn't you quit after that? I I don't know why I didn't quit after that, but I just kept going. And I knew that this was a way that I could build wealth. And I mean, you, it, they've said it forever. Isn't it like 90% of um, the world's richest people are, are huge into real estate, they're real estate investors. And I just have kept that in my mind and just kept going. And I've gotten my husband into it. He understands, you know, he was, he's one of those that loves to buy expensive clothes and go on super expensive trips. And I like the medium where I'll go on a really nice trip to Mexico or really nice trip to Hawaii. Um, but we can also buy real estate too. So I got him his first store at the beginning of 2020. And it's been an experience because every time that tenant messages him or texts him, he comes to me panicked. He's like, what should I tell her? What, how should I, what, what, what do I do? She's, she's got ants in the kitchen and I'm like, go put down some ant, you know, send over the, we have an exterminator, send them over pay the $68 for the extermination. It's not the end of the world. I love that story of grit and perseverance. And it's true, you know, as much as we like to share our war stories and battle wounds, um, I saw close relatives of mine make all of the mistakes and still fail forward. So I think there's a lot of people really afraid to get in. And that's what I've seen in my audience is a lot of analysis paralysis. Um about real estate, which I myself personally have experienced, but I, I love how you dove in and just kept going because eventually you'll learn. 
And I think that there's a point when obviously you have to just take action. That being said, I mean, how do you, how do you spot a deal? And like, what advice would you give to somebody just starting now? I get this question asked a lot. Where do you find your deals? Um, I found a fantastic house on Craigslist last December that everyone was like, it went up. I have been stalking this street. And they're like, we inherited this. Uh, the person was a caretaker for the person who owned the house. Um, and when they passed away, they inherited it. They didn't want to deal with it. And I'm like, I have cash and we can do this, you know, in two days and got it to a title company and got it closed. So I found through Craigslist, um, a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, the hoarder house I found from a friend that I was sourcing merchandise. I used to buy nail polish from this one vendor and they're like, what do you do? And I'm, we're talking about real estate and, you know, it, it's one of the best deals I've ever gotten. And it's from the guy that sold me nail polish. Um, another great deal, the house that I'm sitting in right now, this was brought to me from my, my cleaning lady. She's just like, Hey, my aunt wants to move. She doesn't want anything to do with this house. And, and I came and I looked at it and I'm like, I don't think it's the right price or the right deal. And it went under contract with someone else. And then there were lots of problems with it. And she's like, my aunt doesn't want to deal with a roof. She doesn't want to deal with the plumbing. What about this price? And she brought it back to me. And I'm like, I think we're going to have to do this. And I, I looked at my husband. I'm like, I think we got to move. And uh, it was a great, we didn't know the, the neighborhood real well, but it turned out to be a great move, a great upgrade for us. And um, the, the deal that we're, the house that we're moving into right now that um, we found through Zillow and I'm super aggressive October, November, December, because nobody wants to move during that time. So I'm always throwing out contracts during October, November, December, because there's less competition. And, and this is a, a great bones house that's super dated. And I think that's why it just sat there and it sat there since July and uh, we went in a little bit under asking, but not a lot because it was so well kept. It's one of those that just um, had everything, but it was dated and it was built in 65. And uh, we're, right now we're putting 40,000 into it, fixing it up, but it was just one of those. So I find them from all, you know, from somebody selling me nail polish to my cleaning lady to Craigslist to this one was on Zillow and it was just up there and it, the pictures were terrible. Um, I love bad pictures. I love bad descriptions. I love when there's um, that kind of factor. And that's just kind of been my methods. Even, you know, I, some of the condos, they've come up and I'm not even wasting time to go look at it because I'm familiar with the complex and I'm like, write up an offer and we're putting in cash offers right, right then and there. And that's what we did in the early 2010, 12, 13. So that's kind of uh, family and friends, word of mouth, you know, tenants. Um, and I apologize. My dog's excited now. So no worries. I totally get it. Pets love coming on the show. I should just make it like the pet show. So that's so great. I mean, it's kind of like that thing, you know, people ask me, how do you get started podcasting? It's really scary at first and feels overwhelming. And then, you know, by your fifth show, it starts to feel second nature. I think real estate's the same way, but like you must take action above all, even if you make a tremendous mistake, you can rebound, you can learn. So I really like that. I, I would love to know from you, how does one back away from a money pit lemon situation? How do you get out of that? And are there any non-negotiable red flags when you're looking at your deals where you're, you just back away slowly and are, are like a hell no for you? Anything like that? No, a lot of, um, 
a lot of investors back away from foundation issues. And I have a really good foundation guy um, who's fixed a lot of my properties. So when I see foundation problems, I get excited, um, which is a red flag for a lot of people. How do I back away? So when I sold the money pit in, in 2015, I sold it. It closed on my birthday. It was so exciting. And I had to write a $3,000 check to the title company um, because I it, it, what I sold it for and what I owed on it, I still owed them $3,000. And that was the most exciting check to write ever. I was so excited to write that 3000 because I knew it was the end. I knew that that house could not bleed me dry any more than it already had. Um, so... That is kind of, and how did I rebound? I think I bought something else. You know, I, I, my birthday is in September and I think by December I had bought something else. So it's always, yeah, that one didn't work out, but what can I do to work out? There was one that I, I flipped in 2016. I put in a ton of work, a ton of effort. Um, I partnered with my dad on it. He financed it. I fixed it. So I did all the renovations. And then when we sold it, we ended up making $1,500 and I'm like, Oh my God, I just killed myself for two months for $1,500. I would never do that again. And that's part of why I don't flip. I'm more of the long-term holder for stocks, for houses. I like to buy, you know, is there going to be a 30 year life in this property? Um, I, I don't like to buy and, and flip cause it's a lot of work. And did I think that I was only going to make $1,500 when I started that project? No, but there were a lot of unknown issues that that weren't caught on an inspection and weren't caught when we viewed it. And I was happy that I got out without losing anything. Um, and I made that $1,500, but it's just one of those that it didn't work out and I won't do it again. And that's just kind of how I, you know, trial by error, you're going to learn as you go. The key is just to keep going. So yes, you're going to make that mistake. You're going to do a flip that doesn't make a ton of money. Um, you're going to, you know, sometimes it's not the right property. Um, but I love the ugly houses. I, my realtor, um, that I work with in Texas, if he sends me anything that's moving ready, I like send him back like an emoji, like, why the hell are you sending me this? I don't want this. I don't want moving ready. Um, so he knows. I love that as a niche, you know, like for example, if you're an Amazon seller, some people embrace the large heavy items that are expensive to ship. So I love that you embrace foundation issues. I would be scared by them, but I'm like, of course, all you need is a good foundation guy or gal. So that's really cool. I love that. And that gives you a weird greater advantage than everybody else in a way. And part of it also is networking. Like um, I'll have people like one of my painters I met because his wife would come and buy stuff with me. Uh, One of my carpenters, his wife buys stuff from me all the time. And I would have never, you know, I'm standing out there selling them an item and then we just start that conversation. And I never would have done that without, without, you know, selling them a pair of socks or whatever they're buying that day um, and just open that door. So part of it is just being approachable. And I'm sure you with the, the podcast, you have gotten more experience at, you know, approaching people or having conversations with people and, I think sometimes when you uh, do that, it just, it opens so many doors. It's like the quote, if you really want something, all the universe conspires to make it happen. So I love that. Just let it be known to the world and tell everybody, you know, what you're looking for and, and things will start. You'll start getting lucky in an unexpected ways, I find. Absolutely. Let's talk about the Frugal Gay. What is this new project that you're working on? I'm very excited about it, obviously, because I've got you on the show. There's just so many voices in the personal finance space and um, besides debt-free guys 
and um, I like to dabble. There's not a lot of queer content creators that's that that's doing real estate, and I'm not doing anything special. I'm just sharing my experiences along the way. But it's the frugal gay. I kind of started because I want others to see that you can do it too. And I get so bogged down when I get these negative comments about you can't do that or I can't find anywhere to live and I live in Dallas and everything's unaffordable because you can do it. And there are ways to find creative financing. And like the hoarder house, for instance, there was no one going to give me a loan on that house. It had holes in the ceiling. It had, I mean, it was raining inside. It, it was just one of those animals were running in and out of the house. I found a way to find money for it. I, and, and I started trying to do a hard money loan and I'm like, nah. and then I just went a different direction and went towards a personal loan because I knew what that house could be. And I made those, those large payments and I made it work for the, the time that I owned it or for the time that I didn't have a mortgage on it. And you can do it. And I just want a voice there to tell you that you can do it. And that's really what I'm doing with the frugal gay. And as I do podcast and as I do articles and interviews, it's attainable. I'm not selling anything. I'm not trying to sell courses or all the other things that people do on, on personal finance. I'm trying to get a message out there that ask me, you know, I have people sending me, Hey, someone earlier today was sending me, I'm looking at this. Would you buy this property? I'll do that stuff. I'm not, you know, I could be wrong, but this is my opinion. And if I were looking at this house, yes, it's a deal. No, it's not a deal. Um, and I just think it's important for that voice. I think that Diversity and, and inclusion in the space are super important, and there's so little of it that it's just important to to get out there and let people know there's someone else doing it, and you can do it too, and stop listening to limiting beliefs. And I think that's my, my takeaway. You know, if I stopped listening, you know, if I listened to everyone along the way that said, you can't do that, you can't do that, you're not going to get financing on this. I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have 17 people paying me rent. I wouldn't have a resale business because there's a ton of naysayers out there. And I, um, I, I get um, the, the shady DMs with the Bible verses and all that. And honestly, it kind of fuels me and just makes me work harder to prove them wrong. And that's, you know, even as I've had bad bosses in the past, it just, it fuels me to show them that I can do it. And I'm going to do it and this is how I'm going to do it. So that's where I'm at. And that's, you know, tonight uh, on the Twitter spaces that we're hosting tonight, we're going to be talking about leaving your nine to five and working towards that. And every week it's a different topic. We're doing short-term rentals, long-term rentals, how to build wealth. And our collective message from, from the group of us that hosts that is you can do it. You just have to start stop listening to the haters. And that kind of ties in with Jillian, you know, the title of her book. Uh, if we listened to everyone that put us down, we wouldn't get anywhere, but it's blocking them out. And I use it as fuel to, to, to propel myself. I find that so inspiring and so well articulated. Very nice. And I'm so, I totally agree with you. I listened to a lot of podcasts and it was like lots of straight white guys. And I was like, why is, why is this all of the podcast? And it's not hard to find people who have different voices out there. Um, getting them to say yes is another thing because they might be experiencing imposter syndrome. I think I like yours so much because you have so many female voices in, in the space and you don't hear that on a lot of the, like you just said on the other podcast. So when I was listening, I was binging, um, this was a few days ago, 
it was just refreshing to hear. And and we only have one female um, panelist on our on our spaces. But the week that she was there, it was rough because it was just me being the only other voice than these straight white males. And it's it's important to to be a diverse and accepting space and hear all the voices. I think that's what I like the most is hearing all the different stories. And we had someone come up and they were from Greece and they were sharing their debt-free story and coming to the U.S. and all their successes. And I got goosebumps. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them and I'm like, this is why I'm doing this. I love this story. I love the success. I love this approach. How can I get more people into that? How can I get more people to understand that, yes, you can find affordable housing. Yes, maybe you have to house hack and you have to rent out one room, but you can. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for saying that. That like goes straight to my head. I'm so happy that you that you listened to the show. But I feel the same way. I uh, thought I was going to quit for a minute because it got to be so much work. And then I tried and I was like, I really, truly love not only hearing people's stories because I, I can't get enough of this, but the opportunity to create a platform for people who I believe are underrepresented and, and need to have their story out there because we're only going to learn from a more diversity of voices. I think that's like the true path to to understanding so yeah that's that's great and i want to join this twitter space how do i how do i attend this i will um i mean we send out links every week but it's on wednesdays it starts at 8 30 central um we do them every week it's a different topic every week and uh we i'm most active on twitter and and they're most active on twitter but it's just it's kind of like a live podcast and then you have people come up and talk to you and bounce ideas off you and it's it's a I I take something from it every week. And I honestly can say if I didn't do this Twitter spaces, which we've been doing it for probably five or six months now, I don't think I would have gotten the balls and quit my job Um, because I had been so unhappy for so long. And we have a, 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 he's a CFO of a a large company that's on our panel who is building wealth through real estate. Um, He's in his um, early forties. Um, ready to retire soon, but it just really hit home as he was talking to someone else. He wasn't talking to me, but he's like, if you're miserable and you hate it and you can't change it, you got to change it. If you're miserable, change it. You can take action. You can do better. You don't have to do that. And it just stuck with me and kind of, I I followed through with what I tried to do in 2019. Um, Because we did a test in 2019 with my husband and I just working off of his salary and just working off rental income and side hustle income. And we could do it. It was tight, but we could do it. And I've bought a lot of more, a lot more properties since then. So it's a little bit more comfortable. But um, if I wouldn't have been on that crew with those Wealth Wednesday spaces, I wouldn't have pulled the trigger. And I'm super excited that I did and super excited that I was able to transition. And there, it, it, it was kind of surreal when I left because it was like a, a weird, happy feeling that I hadn't felt in quite a while. Like kind of a, you know, a, a weighted blanket is lifted off you. Did you have like a fun quit story or did you do it like the responsible way with the two weeks notice and all that? I did, I did it the responsible way with a two weeks notice. Um, it was right before Christmas that I made the choice and it was a very busy time of year. So if I did it in a non-fun way, then I would have left my team um, struggling and that was not my intentions. I didn't want to, you know, screw anyone over. I just, you know, I put in my notice and 
moved on to other things. And that's why I'm here today. Congratulations. I don't know if you've read Green Lights with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, He talks about how he had to quit rom-coms. And it's kind of probably what you're going through. Like one, I'll just say when you do quit your day job, oddly, like this, the vacuum that you create in the universe of time fills itself up with magical opportunities. I have my first short-term rental that'll go live in March. And so I'm about to put all my 2021 work, which everyone's seen pieces of it all year long, but I've never shown the finished product. And I'm just, you're always nervous. It's like your baby. You don't want them to diss the backsplash. You don't want them to diss the tile or the faucet choice or all these different things that I put into it. Cause I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy into it. So you want it to, you know, present itself well. You want it to rent well. You want it to be a great livable space. It's it's on the water. That's why we're doing it as a short-term rental. Um, but there's that level of nervousness and there's that level of anxiety that goes with it where people are going to be like, I would have never painted it that, or I would have never done that, or this is stupid. Why is that closet so small? You know, so um, I, I think it's a, a little bit of both. and. Um, I have better Twitter and Instagram followers than my family sometimes because they're more supportive than my family uh, at times. And that kind of keeps me motivated as well when I share work and they do like the hoarder house. Whenever I share those before and after pictures, people get excited. They're like, that is amazing that you could make that look like that. So that's kind of uh, the exciting factor. That is so cool. I I love a good before and after picture. I've been binge watching Queer Eye too. And like Bobby Bark is my uh, soulmate. I just want his skills and abilities. So that's so cool that you can do stuff like that. So I just want to make sure that um, people know where to reach me or if they have questions or if they need to talk to somebody, I'm here. I answer DMs. I'm not super active on Instagram or Facebook, but I'm there too. Um, But if you hit me up on Twitter, I can can help or talk or bounce ideas off me. That's one of my favorite parts of this. And that's why I started the frugal gay. I want to connect with other people that are doing the same thing. And I know that they're doing it. They're just not showing it. So this is kind of a way for me to connect with others that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. Cause I know that there's others out there doing it. When I go and I source merchandise, there's people in there that are sourcing this different type of, you know, I, I focus on a certain niche cause that's where I'm comfortable and I can answer questions and talk about shades of makeup. But, there and I'm not wearing the makeup, but there's other people in there that are doing the same thing. They're just buying different stuff. There and and that's you know this has given me the opportunity to talk about house flips, to talk about you know I have a builder that follows me, and I'm like, I just got this quote on refinishing floors. Is this a good price? Is this a bad price? And you can bounce those ideas. So it's it's important to me to connect with these people that are doing it too, um, and that's why I'm here. I'm so excited to talk to somebody that flipped bras today. This is like a dream come true. So yes. <laughs> and um, what, where can people find you link wise if they want to find you? And these, these will be in the show notes as well. At the frugal gay 11 um, only because the frugal gay was already taken. So I'm the frugal gay 11 um, on Twitter, on Instagram. And uh, you could probably find me on Facebook just by searching that as well. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so inspiring to hear how you built your real estate empire brick by brick, one lipstick sale at a time. Congratulations on your recent retirement. I know this is only the beginning of some really big, exciting things for you. 
What was your favorite part of the episode? Do you feel inspired to invest in real estate or are you now totally terrified of getting involved? Let me know in the comments below or drop a review for us on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. We love hearing your feedback so we can make this show more of what you want. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. This show would be nothing without you subscribing, sharing, liking, telling your friends, recommending guests, requesting topics. All that you do is so meaningful. So thank you for tuning in week after week and keeping the dialogue going so that we can help spread the message of achieving financial independence and freedom to the world. As always, this is Elise Walsh with Invested Success. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss another episode. What was your favorite takeaway from today's show? Let me know by leaving a review or drop a comment on YouTube and keep the discussion going. If you would like to participate in topic requests, ask upcoming guest questions, join our group on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash invested success. And that is all I have for you today. Be sure to tune in again next week. We've got another incredible guest coming up for you. You won't want to miss the next episode. It's going to be great. And that's all we have. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next time.